In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. This is the beginning of a creation story. And there are many that come out of the Middle East. You know, it, it all starts with chaos. And after some time of chaos, a god or gods, um, they come out of it. And then we see a sequence of events that lead to the creation of man. But it all began with chaos and nothingness. Now, many Christians believe in a version of this too. You know, we, we claim creatio ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. Here's the thing that's bugged me since I was a child, the water. Isn't it weird that there's water before God made anything? Was this water nothing? Did other did the other ancient cultures consider the chaos from before time began nothing? Or was it something? In our culture, if it can be measured and quantified, it exists. But in the cultures of the ancient Middle East, though, existence had a different meaning. What does it mean to exist? Well, to them, for something to exist meant for it to be able to stand out from the background. So the chaos in the beginning of these myths wasn't just a swirling mass of some weird type of negative matter and energy. It was perhaps a variety of things that we would consider existing, but in a state of disarray where nothing could stand out from it. I want you to consider this. In Hebrew, as translated from the ninth edition of the Chumash Stone Edition, it says that in the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth, the earth had become a confused, desolate, empty place, a wilderness. Darkness was the surface of the deep, and the throne of God's glory hovered over the water at the command of God's breath. Isn't that interesting? The earth had become a confused, desolate, empty place. Like, it wasn't always like that. So, I think with the information we have, we can say that this primordial water didn't exist to the ancients who wrote this. 
It was just part of the chaotic background. But the story from the Hebrews is different though. Instead of absolutely nothing existing, God already existed. He wasn't born out of the chaos, he was above it. And now, at this part of the story, he was close to it. He was in the foreground. So he makes her call something into the foreground to stand out from the chaos. He says, let there be light, and there was light. But once again, thanks to how English doesn't always translate things well, light here isn't just light in the traditional sense. It's the Hebrew word, our. It's used in the Old Testament around 120 times. And it's used to mean or to convey salvation, prosperity, or wisdom. So when God here says, let there be light, it's more than just light to the darkness. But God is bringing wisdom to the confusion, civilization to the desolation, fullness to the emptiness, and he's taming the wilderness, and he will not be overcome by it. Whether you believe in the Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 account, and yes, those are two different accounts of creation, trust me, look into it. Or if you believe the universe is 13 billion years old, I don't care about that debate. If you thought this episode of the podcast was about creation mythology, you're wrong. The podcast is about your existence. Let me ask you, what does it mean to exist? As we grow from infancy and childhood, our personhood is a collection of effects from our genes, our environment, our parents, our good times and memories, and the hurts and wounds to flesh and spirit that come from living. I believe we are made with wonder and awe by God. But the world plus time jades us. We become confused, desolate, empty, like a wilderness untamed. We start to wonder, am I who I am supposed to be? Or are we just caught in the machinery of the chaos? Are we just part of the background? I think this is why Jesus says we need to be born again. You know, it's it's time we let God pull us out of the background into the foreground and see the wisdom, the joy, the 
existence we should have. The thing, though, is we're not any ordinary piece of creation. We're made in the image of God. There is a God-likeness to us. We sit above the chaos, but unlike God, we often find ourselves willing to go back in. Maybe, you know, you feel lonely, so you search for love, but somewhere along the way you lost self-control, and instead of love, you end up belonging to lust, as it tells as it tells you, all that matters is using others for pleasure. Welcome to the background. Maybe fear has won over your faith, and you give in to what people, to what politicians tell you, and you become willing to sacrifice goodness for your self-righteousness. Welcome to the background. Perhaps you made yourself vulnerable. You revealed the deepest, truest you to someone and they betrayed you or made light of you or used you and now the only relationship you have with them is a grudge and resentment. Welcome to being reabsorbed by the background. There are many situations that lead us back into the primordial sinful chaos before we came to know Jesus. But we do not belong to the dark before. We are the new creation. We are the new humanity. When Jesus died, he experienced the punishment that every kind of sin will get you before God. Death. Oftentimes, many associate the punishment he had to bear with the crucifixion itself. And only the crucifixion. But I believe it was something much worse than death by nails through wrists and ankles on two wooden beams. Jesus himself said it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was crucified because of sin. The world wouldn't tolerate him. He was being pulled into the background. The separation from God the Father was for our sin. He had purpose to go into meaninglessness. The result of being swallowed up in the background, he entered in. He let himself be drowned in the primordial water that didn't exist. In doing so, Jesus ceased to exist. And Jesus experienced the worst of it, the lack of purpose, lack of meaning, injustice condemnation for who he was. He was his deepest self and was rejected. What does it mean to exist? Even though Jesus was swallowed up, 
by nothingness. He was raised back to life. For those who believe, we too take part in this. When we are knocked down by the systems of the world, God pulls us back up into the foreground. Our sins, our mistakes, our imperfections, our pain, and our sicknesses cannot keep us in non-existence. Jesus conquered it, and we are predestined to conquer it too. Someday we will die a physical death, and we will be asleep until we too are raised up like Jesus. Those who believe, though, will never die the second death. We have inherited eternal life with God the Son because those who believe are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Existence should be a part of what we now call in our present day existence. I had a friend recently who spoke on what's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the line Jesus tells his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And it says this, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. In our God-likeness, we are called to reach out to those who are still in the background, to love those who are asking, am I, am I who I am supposed to be? Do I matter? What does it mean to exist? We are to teach them the way, the truth, and the life we have. Are Christ followers doing this though? Or are we trying to bring change to the background by dragging as much of the foreground as possible into it? We can't change the world as the world does. If we try to do so, it's like pushing God's will into a black hole. And God will always exist above the background. Politics won't save the world. Name-calling won't save the world. What's comfortable for you won't save the world. God will save the world and bring it from the background of the universe. But the world's methods aren't going to do it. So have nothing to do with the world and its systems. Let God do what he wants to do. Because if you do, he will do it through you. If you are doubting whether or not you are part of the new creation, so let me ask you, 
Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that God loves you and wants you as an adopted son or daughter? Are you humble enough to admit you don't have it figured out and are willing to give God all your questions and learn and do his way of living? You know, if you can say yes to those out loud and out loud to others, then you are in the foreground. You are a new creation and God sees you and knows you. Or maybe you're one of those who have claimed to know the way of God in the past. But you keep falling back into the background as I've called it. Look, God's grace is there for you. Just come back. It's not too late. If you believe in your being that Jesus is the Savior, then nothing will keep you from the love and grace of the Father except for the authority you have over yourself. That's, that's part of being Godlike. He sees his image in you and he honors that. You know, I, I believe that that God can't override your personhood and force your hand into loving or hating him. It's all in your hands. Before I end this podcast, I, I want to read a section of scripture from Paul's letter to the Galatians. It talks about what life looks like in the background versus the foreground. And I'll be reading from the message translation. If you're the person who calls it a translation, I guess. He says, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. But what happens when you live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, 
not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing, in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good. Crucified. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. Thank you for listening to Between Heaven and Hell. If you want to email this podcast, you can. Uh, the address is between heaven and hell podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter. The handle is at heaven underscore hell pod. Otherwise, until next time, remember, until we die, we're all between heaven and hell. <laughs>